0: We've got a a friend that we made more or less soon after we moved into Lincoln back 1996. They're her children, about the same age as ours. But her daughter was involved in a cult and has now come back home, but to her sorrow, her daughter now says she doesn't need to read the Bible because God speaks to her directly. I'm just telling you that because that's a situation that John faced in his day. And he wrote this letter to counteract that error, if you like, to encourage his hearers to commit themselves to God's word and not listen to the error that was around about them. There were those that were coming into the church, and this was towards the end of the first century AD, as we call it that those had come into the church and they were claiming this special knowledge. God spoke to them directly and therefore they were super Christians, if you like. And this might seem to us, well, you know, this is a long time ago. We've gone beyond these things now. And by and large in this country, maybe we have. But there are still preachers across the world, and we were listening to a missionary this year who said, in Uganda, it's a particular problem. And there is one man in particular who said that he has got this knowledge from God. God speaks to him, and he has these understandings, and no one can challenge him, because he's a super-Christian. He's on this higher plane, this higher level. And therefore, no one can come to him and say what you're saying is wrong, what you're preaching is wrong, what you're doing is wrong because he's claiming this higher knowledge. And that's the background of what John was facing here. These people coming into the church. And part of it was the some of the Greek philosophy behind it that said that the body was intrinsically evil and therefore was separate from the spirit. And part of the things they were teaching was that Jesus, the man, was separate from the christ because how could the evil body be the son of god and so they were separating these things out and saying that the christ came upon him in his baptism and left before his death and so they 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 were challenging the real depths and the truth and the essential matters of the gospel by what they were saying And because they had this philosophy of the body, they felt that you could do anything with the body. It didn't matter. It didn't affect the spirit or the soul because they were separate. The body was evil, so you could do anything with it. And so they were bringing sexual immorality and other things into the church and trying to draw people away. And so John is writing to counteract this. Now, we could go through the whole book and pick up bits but i want us to to look at john's challenge to us and to those of that day into how do we test the truth how do we trust the truth of our profession the truth of the profession of those who come in and teach us and in many ways this is a bit of a challenge because i'm here teaching you so how do you test what i'm saying is right I've always been impressed by what was said about the Bereans. Paul had left Thessalonica, gone to Berea, and they're commended because they checked what Paul was saying. They tested what he was saying against the Scriptures, and we should be doing that. We should be testing against the Scriptures. And John is calling us to do that, and of our knowledge of God. So I want you to read chapter 1, Because it gives us the background and it gives us, if you like, John's right to say this. He was there with Christ. He heard him, he saw him, he touched him. He's saying, I was there, I know the truth of these things. He was there right the way through all of Jesus' ministry. He was there at the cross and saw him die. He heard his words. He touched him and was with him after his resurrection. So he's saying, these things are true... I know them, I was there. And so his hearers at that time should listen to him and we should listen to him. So I want us to look from chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. And there's three areas here that I think that John's saying to us, how do you know that your profession is true? How do you know that those around you, their profession is true? How do you know those coming in, and trying to teach you their profession is true. First of all, he says, if you're a believer, you know God. That's what you're professing. You're saying that you know God. Just like Adam walked with him in the beginning, that we, with our sins now forgiven, know God. We can know him. Secondly, through that, we abide in him. We live in him, and he lives in us. And finally... We're in the light. John, in his gospel, starts off by saying, doesn't he, about the darkness. The world is in darkness and he came. Jesus came as the light and the darkness didn't know him. But those who do know him are in the light. So John says "There's these three areas. These are tests that we can apply. So first of all, he says, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now I noticed, I don't know how it came to my attention actually, that there was a survey that's done, I think it's done fairly regularly, but it was reported in the Guardian and the Independent that teaching obedience to children is at its all-time low. That only 11% of the population of the UK think it's important to teach their children obedience in the home. Apparently, imagination and independence are much more highly valued. You'll please note they still think that teaching good manners at home is a good thing. So, obedience in our society around us isn't valued very highly. And there are two measures, as far well as I can see, to independence we can test. We're obedient to someone if we trust them. And we're obedient to someone if we respect their authority. And that's what we have with our children, isn't it? We want what's best for them, so we expect that they would understand that and obey us. We're their parents, so we would expect them to respect our authority. And effectively, the whole country rules, runs on the basis that we respect the authority of the laws that are made. The opposite of that is anarchy, where no one respects any laws. But we're in a society where this is being turned upside down. We're saying we can have our own ideas, we can do what we want to do. We were listening on the way back from Becky's parents um, a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was Moral Maze on Radio 4, it was on late at night, and they had someone who would come in, a guest speaker, to put opinion, and uh, she was saying that to tell children what to do is childism you know to line it with sexism and racism it's childism because children should have the right to decide what they want to do to be fair a lot of the panellists were kind of a bit sceptical about what she was saying and challenged it but that's how we are in our hearts isn't it when someone says to us do this we say hang on i don't want to do that i'm independent i can do what i want i can do what i please and that's why it's a test of whether we know god or not are we willing to submit ourselves to him do we trust that god knows best for us remember when the pharisees challenged the disciples about them eating on the sabbath and jesus said to them man wasn't made for the sabbath sabbath was made for man and that's a very crucial statement because it tells us that god's laws weren't made to restrict us they were made for our good they were made for us for the blessing of god's people and for society we know that naturally in our hearts those laws are in there you can talk to anybody outside and the laws of the, the general laws of the ten commandments are there in their hearts maybe not worshiping god but they worship gods so they worship something but the idea of not lying and stealing and murdering and hating and all those things are in people's hearts they're in there naturally those laws are there for our god good So God has put commandments in place for our good because he is a good and loving God and he will watch over us and provide for us. So if we say, no, actually, I'm not going to obey this one. You know, I read this in God's word, but I don't like that because I think that's restricting me. I think that's, you know, I want to go a different way. I was reading up that there was, I think it was one of the commentators was saying that a young couple had come to him as a pastor and said that they felt it was okay to live together before they got married because God had told them that was okay. They'd come to God's word and they'd read it and they said, well, no, actually, we want to go a different way. We think that's restricting us. What they're saying is, We don't actually trust that God knows best. And that's what takes us right back to the very beginning. Can you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? The whole basis of that original sin was them saying, we don't trust that God knows best for us. We think that we know better. And so John says, if we know him, we will keep his commandments. Because knowing him will know that he is good know that he will always do what's best for us Some some of the things that are hardest with our children when they disobey us isn't it is when we know we've done something that is for their best but they don't see it at the time and they decide to go their own way we say well you know and the trouble that comes through that you say if only you'd listen to me God is greater than us and wiser than us and we might make wrong decisions as parents but he never makes wrong decisions for his children so John says you can test your profession if in your Christian walk you're decided you're not going to keep his commandments then he says your profession is a lie you don't know him Because you've decided to go your own way. You don't know this loving, caring God. You don't respect His authority. You've rejected Him as ruler over your life. And this can be in lots of different areas of our lives. And being a Christian and following God's commandments does involve a sacrifice. And some of those things we might not even recognize. But, I mean, it's hard to say it here because you live out in the, in the countryside, but living in Lincoln and going to the church there, we want to be close to the church so we can be involved in the work. I'd love to live in you know, a little small holding out there and have chickens and, and it'd be really nice, but it'd be very difficult to be involved in the church. And so... Obeying God's commands, wanting to serve Him, involves in sacrificing our lives, in where we live, who we get married to, what jobs we do, how we live our lives, when, maybe where we shop. And what we do with all of the aspects of our lives. They involve sacrifices, but they show in that sacrifice that we know Him. And trust that what He has said to us is for our good. And ultimately... We will find blessing through it so if we know him we will keep his commandments secondly if we abide in him we will walk as he walked now it's interesting the first verses of john chapter 2 the pronoun he is relating to god the father and here there's a different pronoun when he says as he walked So John is saying, if we abide in God, we will walk as Christ walked, as Jesus walked. We will live our lives seeking to live as he did. So one of the things we ask is, well, well, how did Jesus live his life? He lived it, submitted totally to the will of God. And he walked literally and metaphorically. And a Christian life is a walk and we have to accept that. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I'm saved, now I can sit down, maybe I to just sit down in my pew and that's it. I, I'm okay now. That's the end of you know, my Christian walk. I've now been saved and we sit there and enjoy you know, everything that's going on around us. But this is no... The work of sanctification, the work of becoming holy, is our responsibility. We're to seek to become more like Jesus. So we have a walk day by day. You have a couple in the church, when you say to them, how are you doing? They say, we're plodding on. And sometimes it feels like that as a Christian, that day by day, we're plodding on, serving God one step at a time closer to heaven. But we're called to walk as Jesus walked, seeking to know God's will and being obedient to it. And he was a compassionate saviour, wasn't he? When he was walking this earth, he was compassion on the lost. He loved those that he came into contact with. And sometimes we find that difficult when we come into contact with those who don't know god who challenge us we find it difficult to be compassionate and loving towards them it's one of the challenges of going out and doing door-to-door work or open-air preaching is how do you do it in a compassionate and a loving way it's easy in open-air preaching to to come away with a very judgmental attitude you're all sinners you're all going to hell i might be wrong but i don't remember jesus saying that to those except maybe the religious authorities where he challenged them to those sinners that he came to contact with he said go your way but sin no more remember the woman caught in adultery when jesus challenges the authorities you know you are the first who is without sin throw the first stone they all leave and he turns to us is no one condemning you he says i don't condemn you either go your way and sin no more and so jesus walked with love and compassion to the lost he wasn't condemning them wasn't judgmental about them and as christians we should have that same walk with those around us a love and a compassion that they might see the lord jesus christ in us that we would point at them to him as a savior so he walked in this way in submitting to god's will remember we he said he'd set his face to go to jerusalem knowing there that the cross awaited him he walked in compassion but he walked in seeing God in all things. Can we do the same? It's, it's so easy, isn't it? we be caught up with the attitudes of the world around us. You talk to someone, I reckon the most, um, the worst place in the world for sort of changing people's attitudes and radicalising them is the old ladies at the bus stop. I've been to the bus stop in Brighton with my mum and they start moaning about the student accommodation that's being built and the buses aren't running on time and very easily as God's people we can get caught into the moaning and complaining of the world around us and we stop seeing God's grace we stop seeing the wonder of his creation we stop seeing all that he's done and we drop into the looking at our own feet and complaining we should walk as jesus walked we see the wonder of all that god has done we spend time with him in prayer spend time in his word that we would acknowledge that we abide in him and finally we should love the brother, brethren now, those, there's those two verses in there where, where John says, I, don't, I give you an old commandment. I say an old commandment, you've known it from the beginning, and it's a new commandment. A bit confusing. But I think they relate to the fact that looking back into the Old Testament, you see all the promises there and all the light that was given to God's people. And so these things haven't changed. All that John is saying has never changed. It's been the same all the way through. And yet now things are different because Jesus has come. The light has come into the world and it gives new light. I think that's what John is referring to. And so then he talks to them and saying, You say that you walk in the light, love the brethren. Now, I know you've probably heard before, but this is the Greek word agape, sacrificial love. The English language is a bit restricted in this way. It uses the same word, but this is sacrificial love, the love that puts others first, the love that took Jesus to the cross, willing to die for others. So John says, if you say you're walking in the light, you will love others that are walking in the light you will love the brothers you will want to spend time with them you will in rejoice in the fellowship you will want what's best for them you will rejoice when they're rejoicing you will be sorrowful with them when they're sorrowful you will rejoice when they have successes and you'll mourn with them when they have failures so often we do the opposite don't we we rejoice when someone else has failures and we mourn when someone else is successful. John's saying that's not an attitude of one who's walking in the light. We should want what's best for our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they might be, whoever they might be. We can easily get caught within our own little sphere of our church family and. We get jealous of the church down the road that is getting lots of people along. And they're, you know, having baptisms every other week. We can get jealous of them. It says, no, we should love the brethren rejoice with them. People are being saved. If we don't love our brothers, and it says the word hate here, but it's going kind to... Of It's not so much the hatred as the way we use it, it's not putting them first. If we say that we, you know, we're selfish, we put our opinions, our position first, then can we really say we're walking in the light? So this is John's challenge to us. Do we love our brothers and sisters? Do we want to spend time with them? Do we enjoy their company? Or do we kind of want to get away as soon as possible? Don't want to spend time talking. Don't want to find out how they're doing. Show them the care that's necessary. Want to be with them when they're struggling. Want to provide for them and help them. And that works with our fellowship as a church, doesn't it? Are we involved in what we're doing as a church? Do we want to love our brothers and sisters in supporting them and helping them and being there, working within the church family? in all the things that we do so john sets these three tests but we can he's talking to us as individuals so we can apply them to ourselves is my profession true do i really know the lord jesus christ how am i going on in my christian walk and these can be signs you know when we're feeling that we want to go our own way and you're saying hang on am I still walking with God right Do I, am I acknowledging that I know him when I'm starting to decide I want to do things my own way am I finding a hardness of heart am I not rejoicing in all that God has done for me as I should am I finding it hard to meet together with brothers and sisters in Christ am I not you know, have that bitterness in my heart over their successes and we're not rejoicing in the things they're rejoicing in. So we can use it as a test for ourselves of how is our walk with God? And if we start to see those signs, we need to return to God in prayer and say to him, help me. I feel I'm drifting. I feel that I'm struggling in my spiritual walk with you. These things are pointing me in that way. But we can also use them in our relationship with our brothers and sisters. Part of our love for our brothers and sisters is that we want to see them in glory with us. And so we have a responsibility if we see others drifting in the same way to get alongside them. And this is where the genuine love comes in, isn't it? Getting alongside them and saying, I see you're struggling with this issue or that issue. We haven't seen you. You know, your attendance at church is, is a bit hit and miss. How are you doing? How are you walking? How are you getting on with God? And show our love for them. Not that we condemn them, not that we criticise them, but we get alongside them and love them saying. We don't want you to drift away. We want you to be there in glory. Have you looked at your own spiritual walk? So we have that responsibility to our brothers and sisters to look at their walk, to care for them in that right way. It's part of our love for them. That's really difficult, isn't it? Because we so easily go into a judgmental spirit. John saying love them use these tests to look at those around you and to encourage them in their walk with god but finally use them for us to judge teaching and those that come into the church and it's very easy nowadays with the internet to pick up ideas from all over the place and some of them sound very plausible Some of them, you know, sound really great. And there's some people who are very popular and loads of people will turn up to hear them. But John's saying, apply these tests when you come to hear these. Is what they're saying in accordance with God's word, is what they're teaching right? Or are they saying, well, actually, you can get this, you know, these wonderful feelings and that's what you should be following. Are they teaching that we should turn away from God's word, from his commandments and trust in ourselves? Are they themselves walking as Christ walked? What's their their daily life like? And are they showing love to the brothers and sisters? Or are they critical and judgmental? Are they not willing to hear people coming alongside them? One of the things I think is fairly prevalent today is those that say, well, the Spirit is leading me in this way. And they find it very difficult for you then to come and say, well, how does that come with God's word? Because the challenge then is, well, you're grieving the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. We should let the Spirit go no if the spirit is the spirit of god he'll be in accordance with god's word and we should be testing the things that we hear john later on in his book tells us to test the spirits to test the things that we hear to test the things that we see to test the things that that people say to us about god whether they are in accordance with god's word do these people know god for themselves is the evidence there Are they walking with Christ? Is the evidence there? Do they love the brothers? Do they really genuinely love the church and God's people? Or are they out for themselves? So we come to this message here from John. He's saying to the people, you know the truth. You know Jesus died on the cross for you. You know all that he's done for you. Continue to trust in him. Continue to walk with him. But be careful. Test the spirits, test your own profession, test the profession of those around you, test the profession of those that you hear, that you may genuinely walk in the light. You might genuinely know him, and that when the day comes when he returns, you'll be there with him. He was saying, "Come with me, my good and faithful servant." You have kept the faith. You have run the race. You have fought the fight. Come up into glory. Amen.